lot of ways to say goodbye to a loved one. You can bury them, you can cremate them, you can even send them into space and turn them into a piece of jewelry. But in one small town in Colorado, one family decided to put their dead loved ones on dry ice and store them in a tough shed in the backyard. And what happens when your hometown finds out that you've got grandpa in a freezer? Well, in this case, the town decided just the fact that grandpa was in the tough shed was a good enough reason to have a party. The reasons why Netherland, Colorado has a three-day festival of fun in the name of Grandpa Brito aren't crystal clear, but the story of how he ended up in the freezer and how the festival started really is. That story brings more than 25,000 people to the Rockies each year, and that story is what we'll be talking about today here on Small Towns Big Stories. I'm Liz Carey, and for the past 25 years I've been a journalist and a history junkie. I love finding out about the truth behind tall tales, urban legends, and other stories that pop up in small towns. I love them so much, in fact, I wrote a book about them. In Hidden History of Anderson County, I wrote about all the stories I'd ever heard in Anderson County, South Carolina. Stories I thought couldn't possibly be true. Turns out, they were. (laughs) Who knew? At any rate, when I talked to people about the book, I found out that everyone has a story to tell about their hometown, and many of them turn out to be true, and interesting, and surprising, and a lot of fun. So I started this podcast to dig a little deeper into those hometown stories, from how booze saved Anderson, South Carolina from Union union troops, to the canine mayor of Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. We're going to look at some of the small town stories of American history that you may not know about, but are interesting nonetheless. Be sure to look for some of my other writing as well on the Daily Yonder, an online newspaper about rural issues on workerscompensation.com, an online workers' compensation industry newspaper, and on my blog at hellsfunnybell.com. Follow me on Facebook at Liz Carey Writer or on Instagram at Liz Carey SC. And keep listening to this podcast by so- subscribing so you can hear all of our future episodes, including how our sales Kentucky sprung up around a creek, why it's still there, how a plot of land that used to be part of Kentucky is no longer part of Kentucky, Well, it's still part of Kentucky, but it's just not connected to the rest of the state. And how a church picnic ended up being one of the biggest political events in Kentucky every year. Make sure to drop us a line, too, at lizcarry at twc.com. We'll put you on our mailing list. Let me know what stories you think that I should be talking about. This episode of Small Towns Big Stories is supported by Rural Matters with Michelle Rothman. Rural Matters is a bi-weekly 30-minute podcast about rural education. If you think small towns produce big stories, then take a look at the Daily Yonder at dailyyonder.com. It's the web's best source for news and information about all things rural. While you're there, check out my story on Colorado's Dead Guy Days and the impact of tourism on small places. Get beyond the superficial red state-blue state analysis and find out what's really happening in America's small places. Go to the Daily Yonder at dailyyonder.com. Since the mid-1800s, people have loved finding their Rocky Mountain High in Netherland, Colorado. The city started off as a mining town and then went on to become a tourist town and then transformed into the sort of hippie getaway. 
Each time it ended up being a ghost town not long after. And now the town has risen to international fame for a three-day festival of the dead. Well, not all of the dead, just one particular dead. In um, So a little background. In 1994, Odd Bog, I think that's how you pronounce it, it's spelled A-U-D, and then the last name is B-A-U-G-E, Odd Bog, was evicted from her home in Nederland, Colorado for not having electricity and running water in her house, but still living there. And of course, you know, that was a story. So when the reporter from the local paper went up to interview her, Odd said something to the effect of, but what about Grandpa? To which, of course, the reporter responded with something along the lines of, well, what about him? And that was when Odd confessed that she was worried that he would thaw out. You know, that's not something you ever hear every day. As a reporter, I can tell you, yeah, not something you hear every day. Of course, this particular reporter went to City Hall and asked them essentially, so what are you going to do about Odd's frozen dead grandpa? Um, to back up a little bit, it turns out that Odd's son, Trivge Bog, B, it's T-R-Y-G-V-E. These, like, Norwegian names are crazy hard to understand. But anyway, he'd come to visit the U.S. from Norway, and he loved it so much he decided to stay. And periodically he'd bring over family members to visit, and they fell in love with the U.S. too. His grandfather, Brito Morstel, visited and just fell in love with Colorado. So not long after, when he died, Trigve had his grandfather frozen and then shipped to the U.S. where they put him in a cryogenics facility in California. Until Trigve and his mother, get this, could build their own cryogenic facility in Netherland. For some reason, however, they could not get the cryogenic facility up and running, and Grandpa Brito consequently got kicked out of the storage facility he was in. So they moved him to Netherland and put him in, put him on dry ice, in a standalone freezer, in their tough shed, in the backyard. I know. Don't even start. I swear, I am not making this up. So. After a little bit, Trigva was deported back to Norway for overstaying his visa. And without him, Odd was left alone in an unfinished house with her, her father's frozen corpse out in the back. Naturally, when the story leaked out about a frozen Norwegian being stored in a shack in the Rockies, people noticed. It was huge news in the Denver-Balder area. A jury found Odd guilty of building use and zoning violations, and she was ordered to get rid of Grandpa Brito or face 10 days in jail. But of course, the public outcry over the story was huge too. Nederland passed an ordinance that prevented people from storing dead bodies on their property, but because of the publicity of the case, Brito was literally grandfathered in. Seriously, I am not making this stuff up. So, Grandpa Brito stayed in the freezer where he is to this day, high up in the Colorado Rockies, frozen under two tons of dry ice that is changed out by his caretaker once every two weeks. I guess, though, it sort of takes a little bit of understanding of Nederland in order to understand how this goes from a dead guy in a freezer to a three-day festival of music and booze and 
frozen T-shirt contests. In the late 1800s, Netherlands started out as a mining community. Originally, the area, which is just a little bit north, east, northeast of Boulder, um, originally it was a trading post between the Ute Indians and settlers. But when miners discovered silver nearby, it became a mining camp and was known as either Brown's Crossing or Brownsville, depending on who you listen to. After the Civil War in 1873, the mining company Nederland bought the Caribou Mine, as it was called. And the company shipped its people over from the Netherlands to start mining. The mine was 10,000 feet above sea level. So when these miners would ship the ore that they had dug up down the Boulder Creek to the flatlands of Brownsville, which was then known as Middle Boulder because of Boulder Creek, um, they started jokingly referred to this area as Nederland, which means lowlands, which is kind of funny because Nederland itself is 8,000 feet above sea level. Of course, it's lower than the mine was. Um, Within a few years, though, the caribou mine was depleted and the mining company pulled out of the area and it left Nederland as this mining ghost town. Then, at the turn of the century, another miner, Sam Conger, found tungsten in the area and started mining it. Um, by 1916, the town had grown to nearly 3,000 residents. There were trains running up to Netherland, and the first cars could travel up the mountain via the Boulder Canyon Road. But that boom didn't last long either. It was only about four years until the town was back down to 2,000 year-round residents. This time, though, it was a little bit different because the area was getting a summer population surge. Rich folks from the front range of the Colorado Rockies, who could afford a second home in the mountains, started coming up the area to vacation. So there was hiking and fishing and camping and picnic in the area, um, and it was just up the mountain, so it became this great spot to put a mountain cabin to enjoy the outdoors. So up until the 1940s, Tourism, along with a few small mines and some farming and ranching, really kept Nederland alive. Um, according to the, the Nederland Historical Society. At any rate, um, so things were looking up during World War II, uh, you know, um, when there was a there was another new demand for tungsten to make the steel again. So the mines opened up again and the population of the town surged again. But that little uptick was kind of short-lived because when demand for tungsten fell after the war ended, the demand for living in Nederland ended as well. and The town was just devastated. I mean, um, the bowling alley closed, the movie place closed, banks started closing. It was pretty bad, you know. The population of year-round residents dropped below 2,000. So... In the 1950s and 1960s, though, Boulder started this growth and resurgence in, in po- a surge in population. So it started to become a little bit more gentrified and the more college people and um, more uh, economic development and growth in the area. The town had been pretty much kind of like a hippie hangout. 
And um, as it started to grow and be developed and more mainstream people started showing up, then all of the hippies got up and moved. And they moved up the mountain to Netherland. So these transplanted counterculture revolutionaries took over the town and there was a whole new outlook for the the town and its government and the way the real feel of the town. It's really got a really laid back vibe. But um, by the 1990s, population was stabling out at about 1,500 people year round. Um, as a side note, and this is kind of weird, but when we were there, um, I just could not get over the number of Himalayan and Tibetan-themed stores and restaurants. And it turns out that in the 70s, Boulder was like the epicenter of mountain climbing in the U.S. And all of these climbing aficionados, aficionados sorry, would flock to Boulder to rock climb and mountain climb. You know, it's like, you know, you did Boulder and you learned how to do your rock climbing and then you just went on to Everest. Um, but um, all of those climbers who um, went to Mount Everest would talk to the people about Boulder and about America and stuff like that. And eventually some of those in Nepal and Tibet, you know, in the Himalayas came back to the United States, or they came to the United States, immigrated here legally through the lottery system, and um, set up shop, and then would just bring family members over as they could. And that's why when you go to Boulder and Netherland, there are Himalayan restaurants. I mean, I have lived in Cincinnati. You know, it's not a huge city, but it's a pretty big city. There are no Himalayan restaurants in Cincinnati. I, You know, as odd as that may sound. But... Here's this little 1,500-person town in the middle of the Colorado Rockies, and there's, like, two Thai places and this one place, Kathmandu Cafe, that is a Himalayan restaurant, which has some of the best curry I've ever had in my life. But, you know, that's just, you know, it's not everyone expects to see Himalayan restaurants and Tibetan prayer flags in the middle of, you know, the Colorado Rockies. Anyway... Um, now, uh, Netherland is sort of a stop off between Boulder and the Eldora Ski Resort in the winter. Um, Eldora, oddly enough, has the reputation, or formerly had the reputation of being, um, the ski resort with the surliest, uh, ski instructors in the country, but, um, it's under new management and they promised that their ski instructors won't be surly anymore. Um, so... People come to Netherland and go up to Eldora um, or go through Netherland to get to Eldora and some of the um, cabins that are up there during the winter. And then um, during the summer, they'll stop through um, Netherland on the way to camping and hiking and fishing and all that other stuff up on the mountains. Um, it's a cute little place and it just thrives on that tourist industry but the tourist industry runs from November to February and from May to August. So those periods in between, March 
in April, and then September and October are called the shoulder seasons. And the people who live there know that they have to make enough money in the two tourist seasons to last them for the four months that they don't have tourists coming in. So, what does all this have to do with Grandpa Brito? Well, originally the town wanted to give the prying eyes of the public who were listening to all of this stuff about Grandpa Brito. Um, they wanted to give them all the cold shoulder and pretend it never happened. But then someone suggested the town use the notoriety of the story to make money. And naturally, the Chamber of Commerce was enthralled with the idea. Um, they decided, hey, let's throw a three-day festival in honor of Grandpa Brito. And that's how Frozen Dead Guy Days was born. Um, Frozen Dead Guy Days is the first full weekend in March, and it literally takes over the town. From Friday night until Sunday afternoon, 25,000 people come up the road from Colorado in the front range of the Rockies to participate in Frozen Dead Guy Days. On Friday night, there's a blue ball where the Ice Queen and Grandpa Brito are crowned. Um, all the while, you know, attendees are there listening to music and partaking in adult beverages, some of which may or may not be in the form of shots that come out of a tube inside of a um, ice carving that looks like a giant tiki head. Just saying. Um, then on Saturday... Um, there's in the Sunday, there's an ever changing lineup of bands and ever flowing selection of beer and other adult beverages. There's food vendors, there's, um, art, there's all sorts of activities. Um, local businesses put on things like a frozen turkey bowling, um, a frozen t-shirt contest where a t-shirt, is folded up and frozen solid overnight, and then the object of the game is to undo the um, T-shirt and to put it on. Um, as a just then there's the uh, um, there's beard contests, there's coffin races, there's a hearse parade. I'll just tell you from personal experience, though. If you're going to do the frozen turkey bowling contest, do it on Saturday, because if you do it on Sunday, by that time the turkey has lost its wrapper and it's not exactly as appealing. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, of course, there are tours all weekend of Grandpa Brito's resting place and um, viewings of a documentary about Grandpa Brito. This year, there was even a film about the frozen dead, kind of like a colder version of The Walking Dead, I guess. We thought about going, but it just seemed like such a long way to drive to watch a cold zombie flick when we were already freezing, so we got pizza instead. Um, I mean... During the day there, it was 22 degrees out, and there were 30-mile-an-hour winds, so when I say it was cold, it was cold. Now, of course, the Netherlands people were all saying, oh, it's just a balmy day in the Rockies, and I'm looking at it and thinking, what in the world? Um, anyway, the result of Netherlands' little gamble on this event to draw people up the mountain has paid off. 
The weird nature of the festival um, has earned it international fame. And in the era of, you know, viral posts, the idea of a festival about a frozen dead guy kind of piques people's interest a bit. Attendance at the event has grown by a thousand people every year, um, according to organizer Amanda McDonald. It has been all over the place, you know, everywhere that you can think of. There are pictures of frozen dead guy days. And the town residents will tell you that they make more money that weekend, or they make enough money that weekend to survive that shoulder season. Um, they'll make enough to get them through two to three months. Um, there's talk uh, that this may be the last year of the festival. McDonald says it's a lot for her to take on by herself. But she also says she loves her volunteers, and she loves the festival, and she loves the economic impact that it has on the area. So, as far as I know, she and um, the town of Netherland are still in talks about um, how they can work together to put the festival on some more. So, if you're into dark tourism, or one-of-a-kind culture festivals or, you know, just weird things or even, you know, finding out about indie bands and drinking some pretty good craft brews, I would totally recommend going to Frozen Dead Guy Days. It was a blast. I mean, you know, um, on top of, you know, this great festival and, and um, all the different things that were going on there, there was tons of... Um, interesting shops in Netherlands. There was the Carousel of Happiness, which is this carousel the Vietnam vet um, hand-carved all of the animals on, which is um, amazing to see. There, um, Eldora was very pretty. Um, there were, there's a couple of bookshops. There's even a kind of, you know, it's a children's book about Grandpa Brito coming back out of the um, tough shed. Spending the day with a little girl in Netherland and going around and doing all the things that you're supposed to do in Netherland, which was kind of uber creepy, but um, still a cute book nonetheless. Um, we went up there. We went through Boulder. We got into Denver, went up through Boulder, went to the Celestial Seasonings uh, factory that's up there, went to Dushanbe tea room, which is a little tea room that uh, was sent over by um, Boulder's sister city in Tzatzikistan. Um and then we drove up to Netherland, got a little Airbnb, which was like one of the cutest little places I've ever been in in my life, and then um, after Frozen Dead Guy Days went down to Denver. I mean, it was just a thrilling week, and um, aside from the bomb cyclone that trapped us in Denver for a couple of days, and I would say that it was um, just a really great, fun, thrilling experience to go and do and see and be sort of Native Carolinians for a couple of days. But, um, you know, if Grandpa Brito and his legacy and the festival in his honor and any indication, um, there's a way to incorporate small-town stories with economic development. 
and to make something that's unique to small towns a success for everybody. Um, it's true, the town 20 years ago, they could have all said, nope, Odd, that's it, pack up your grandpa and get going, but instead they found a way to help Odd to keep her father and to help the town to make some money in the process. It really was and is a win-win for everybody. Um, let's hope the current negotiations between Amanda McDonald and um, the town of Netherland go well and we can continue to see Frozen Dead Guy Days for years to come. So that's about it for Small Towns Big Stories. I'm Liz Carey, and I hope you'll join me again next time for another story about those interesting tales you may not know about from America's small towns and rural byways, like how a wigwam hotel ended up in southwestern Kentucky. <laughs> Just a clue about what's coming next. Or how a small-town church picnic became the premier political rally in the state. That one won't be until August. Um, we're also looking at probably going to Bubble Land, uh, which is the part of Kentucky that is no longer attached to Kentucky um, in July. And um, I'm always open if anybody has any small town stories that they want to tell me about, uh, places that they think that I need to go. I'm all up for grabbing the dog in the tent and heading out. So give me a, a shout at lizcarry at twc.com. Thanks so much for joining me. Send me an email with your story ideas or what you think of the show, and we'll talk to you next time here on Small Towns Big Stories. Thanks so much. Bye.